All right, well, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. Now, we've been, we've been in a series talking about the feast. We've been in there for a couple of months talking about the different times, the appointed times and the things like that. And, and what we've gotten into is we've talked about, essentially, if you will, uh, God's word in the sky. We're talking about the stars. Now, I know this scares a lot of people. They get freaked out by it because they think, oh, my goodness, that's astrology. Talking about the zodiac, you know, horoscopes, all that other stuff. That is not what we're talking about. We're talking about the things that these names, these names come from something um, originally. And we can trace a lot of this back through history. We can go back and see and say, oh, okay, this is what they called it in the Babylonian times. This is what the ancient Hebrews called it. I mean, all this different stuff. And we can see that. But what we're looking for are things that point to different items. You know, ultimately, what is the last thing that we as believers are waiting for? The return of Christ. That's what we're waiting for. And so the question is, is that God said to be watching. Look up. The time of your salvation is near. Look up at what? Look at cloud formations. Is that a bunny? Is it a horse? What is it? No. He's telling me. He set these things in the sky for us to look at. So let's go back a little bit. Let's look at Genesis chapter 1. We've been talking about this the last couple of weeks. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 14, it said, Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night. Gives us the purpose. Let them be for signs and seasons, for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Then God made two great lights, the great light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give a light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, so the evening and the morning were the fourth day. This is day four in creation. How many days were there? There were six. He took the seventh day off. And so when we look at this, we see a lot of things that are going on. The purpose of the light said, let there be lights. He created light prior to creating the light source, right? The light source came after the creation of light. God himself is light. We know that. He is a light bearer. Then it gets into the part where it talks about let them divide the day from the night. Okay, that makes sense. We get that, right? We have daytime, we have nighttime, all of that going on. It says, but let them be for signs and for seasons. This comes from the Hebrew word moedim. I show you this every week, but this means, moedim means the appointed time, the feast, the set feast, the times, times, all of this stuff, the meeting place. This word's used several different places, but it is always pointing to these feasts, these seven feasts that Israel celebrates every year. Even if they didn't know why they were celebrating them, they were celebrating them because God said to do it. But what we're able to look at, because of our hindsight to go back, that we see that Jesus was our Passover lamb, that he was the unleavened bread because there was no sin on him, and he was our first fruit offering when he was resurrected. We see in Pentecost the birth of the church and the giving of the Holy Spirit. Then we jumped into the fall feast with the Feast of Trumpets, and then the uh, Rosh Hashanah with the, the New Year, and, and, and of course um, the last one, which is Tabernacles. It's where we believe that the Millennial Kingdom will be set up, with trumpets being the rapture. And so we see these things. God said, hey, you need to be looking at these, but what were their purpose? Why were they there? We think, okay, day and night, we get that, that's good, because we want to know when to sleep, and we want to know when to be awake. Now, some of us want to sleep when it's dark, and we also want to sleep when it's light. We like sleep. We are Americans. We're good at sleeping and eating and a few other things, but mainly those two. And so, uh, but when we look at this, like, okay, what is the purpose? Well, they are for signs and for seasons. The Hebrew people would look at the moon as their calendar. We look at it from the sun. Okay, a Gregorian calendar, if you will. But they look at it in a lunar cycle, and that is how they measure their days. And so they're always watching for these feast days. And so there are going to be things that we are looking for. Now, we talked about the eclipse. Now, could the eclipse be the sign of something to come? I, we, we went through that. You know, there's something unique about when an eclipse goes across an entire country. Is it a sign of judgment? Maybe. 
It certainly should open our eyes, and this nation needs to repent. We have gotten away from our roots. We are no longer following God. It's really difficult to call this a Christian nation anymore. I mean, we once were. We were brought in by men who were, were God-fearers. I, I want to say like 40 out of the 52 founding fathers, the signers of the Declaration, were licensed ministers. They, they went to seminary and things like that. I mean, these were Christian people. They didn't get everything right. No different than the rest of you. I mean, it's, we don't get everything right. But they were people who feared God. And so, is that a sign for us that we need to repent? I think, absolutely. But the truth be told, I didn't need an eclipse to tell me that we need to repent and we need to seek God. Then we've got another one coming in seven years. All right? Again, is this God trying to get our attention? Remember, the Hebrews looked at it as a lunar eclipse was a sign of judgment to the nation of Israel because of the way they, they track their calendar. But a solar eclipse was to the Gentile world, which is everybody who's not Jewish, and then that way that they would see it. And I told you about the sign of Jonah and all those other things. We went into all of that stuff. But getting back to Genesis chapter 1. So they got the two great lights. One that rules the day and one that rules the night. And then he said he also made the stars. One of the things that you guys have been taught that I was taught that it always says like, oh, our sun is just a star. Our planet just happens to be the exact amount of distance away from it that it will sustain life. You know, I don't believe in coincidence. I don't think that the sun is simply a star. God just said it wasn't. He created the stars after that. They also were stars. The difference between our sun and the stars is our sun is incredibly stable. Stars are not. They're kind of wild. They're crazy. They're like your kids, right? They're nuts. But our, our sun is incredibly stable. It gives light. The reason we can even have an eclipse is that it is 400 times greater size than the moon, but the moon happens to be 400 times closer to the earth. That's how we have an eclipse. That doesn't happen on any other planet. The single planet that sustains life. Yep, definitely an accident, right? Happy accident. In the beginning, there was nothing. Nothing exploded, created everything, right? The Big Bang. We love it. No, it's nonsense. And what's amazing is you're going to see some of the stuff today is God works in patterns. This stuff is like, you know what it is like? God works in mysterious ways. You know that's not in the Bible. You know who works in mysterious ways? People, because they're nuts, right? We're crazy. God doesn't work in mysterious ways. He works in predictable patterns that we can follow. And I mean, with the nation of Israel, I mean, they were all the way through Scripture. It was like, hey, if you'll be, you know, if you'll do what I say and, and you'll be my people and I'll be your God, what do you think about that? It's not all right. And they're like, hey, I like that idea. Let's do that. And so they did that. And what did they immediately do? Stop doing it. Then God brings judgment. And they're like, oh, we're so sorry. We'll do it right now. And then things get good. And then they stop doing it. And then he has to bring judgment again. It's like, how many times does it take to learn? You know, how many times did you have to tell your son to quit hitting your daughter? Like, how long does it take? Hey, don't lie to me. Like, you're not good at it. This is a conversation I'm having with my daughter. I was really good at it. I sold insurance for years. I'm just kidding. That's a joke. <laughs> not all insurance salesmen are liars. I know. I know. He's controlling the phone right now. He's, he's over there. He's thinking. But, but no, it's like, listen, First of all, and this is just for me personally, like, if you're going to lie, at least be good at it. Like, make it believable. It's like, oh, no, there was a deer that came in the house and ate that candy bar. I swear. Yeah, that's believable. That didn't really happen, but that's how stupid it is. But, I mean, but why? We didn't have to teach them to do these things. It was something that was in them. But we miss the point of all, all things that God is doing. It's like, okay, here is real, real simple. Just follow God, piece of cake. Really, in our life, God works in these patterns. Hey, if we follow him and chase him, seek first the kingdom of God, and then all these things will be added, life would be so much better. But you know what, what's amazing is prayer is our last resort instead of our first option. 
and, and you know, we, we, we skip out on the things of God and the things that God is doing because uh, that doesn't work. I mean, the first thing we do, we get a headache, what do we do? We pop an aspirin. Hey, how about we pray to the God who is our healer? That's one of his benefits out of Psalm 103. But be that as it may, I don't want to get off into all of this stuff. The bottom line here is we see predictable patterns by God. Now, I'm going to show you guys a couple of books here that I've got. This is a book by Frank Templer, The Anthropic Cosmological Principle. Puh. Say that five times fast, all right? Now, most of you probably don't even know what those words mean, and that's okay because I have to go look them up myself. But I haven't read all of this book. You see how thick this is? This would take some time. But the bottom line is this guy here is a physicist. He was an atheist physicist. He didn't believe in God. He said, nope, Big Bang created, evolution did of the rest. And so as he was working out his mathematic formulas and going through all of that stuff, he happened to notice something. He said, you know what's amazing about the human body is it appears as if it is, it is hurting and waiting for some sort of um, this, this rapture concept, like going from, from death to life, going from like this recreative thing. And he did this from the standpoint of physics. He's a phys physics professor. He's a doctor in advanced physics. I mean, he's, he's doing all of this based off what? Based off the patterns in the world that God created. This guy here, I'm going to attempt to pronounce his name, E.W. Falstitch. I can promise you, you've never heard of this guy. Okay, I've got several of his books. This man was absolutely brilliant. And what he did is he took Kepler's laws of planetary physics and began to say, I think we can track all of history just by looking at the calendar, and, 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 or looking at the stars, excuse me. And there's several things he shows pictures from his, he created a computer program that would go through and show all these different things through history. It could show what was going on and things like that, which is amazing. Now, this guy was so advanced in intelligence is that he was looking for somebody to carry on his ministry. He had this whole library of things and, and whatnot. And so he reached out to Brian Young, as you guys know. Now, Brian is a scientist. He's a smart guy. He's been here a couple of times. Brian was struggling with the concepts that he had. Now, when the guy explained it to him, he's like, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. And then he would go back and he'd start reading the material, and he's like, man, I am not following this stuff. And unfortunately, this guy's ministry is no longer. He'd passed away. Uh, there was no one to carry this on. But this guy can trace the history of mankind strictly through using the stars. It's amazing. Why is that? Because God created a world that is very predictable. You know, the one thing that we cannot and that atheists cannot explain is that if this all came from nothing and a happy accident, why does everything work in such a predictable pattern? How did they know that eclipse was coming? How did they know that there's one coming again in seven years and can trace the pattern? It's because of physics because of planetary motion. We're going to get into all of that stuff today. So the bottom line here is when we see that God created these things for a purpose. That purpose is not something that we should be afraid of. It's something that we should look at. It's something that we should be prepared for. Now let's look at Luke chapter 21. Luke 21, starting in verse 25. And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars. What will be there? Signs, right? And on the earth, the stress of nation with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's heart failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Where are the signs? Sun, moon, and stars. He's telling them, you need to be looking. When this happens, look up. Your redemption is near. He's talking to Israel here. But he said, we need to be looking at these things, all right? We need to be prepared for these. Matthew chapter 24, 
We'll start in verse 27. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. He's making a connection here between these signs in the sky. Immediately after the tribulation, so we see the time frame, of those days the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. The sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven and with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds and from one end of the heaven to the other. Now where is that sign? In the heavens. What was the sign? The sign of the Son of Man. And we will get into that in a little bit. What I'm trying to show you is this is not some abstract idea. This is stuff that Jesus told them. Be looking. Be watching. You've got to be able to see something in order to watch for. If it's just based off mankind's behavior. A lot of people assume because America is, uh, is pretty far from God at this point. Um, that all, That's a sign of the end of, end of man. Well, if that's the case and Jesus is coming back based off of that alone, that's been happening all over the earth, all over different parts throughout time. So that can't alone. It's too finicky. But what if it is something greater than that? So what we're going to look at here is a map. I'm going to show you a map from 3 BC. We talked about these, these constellations last week. You've got Virgo. You've got Leo. Now, we are able to do this because of Johann Kepler's, Kepler's uh, law of planetary motion. He is the one that discovered this using physics. He was able to go back and he can track. And so now they created software where they can go back and look exactly where these uh, astrological things were going on at this time. Now, the thing you need to understand is that the constellations don't move. Planets do. All right. Now, this is 9-11-3 BC. Why am I showing you this? Because we are getting in to Revelation chapter 12. All right, Revelation chapter 12, but I want you to see this. Now, we went through these constellations, the 12 constellations of the Nazareth last week. Virgo the Virgin, holding the branch, Leo the Lion. You've got the beginning and the end. Start at Virgo, we end with Leo, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Now, why I'm showing you this is this took place on Rosh Hashanah. All right? 9-11-3 BC is where most conservative scholars believe that the birth of Christ took place. Now, we weren't there, so we don't know for sure. But they believe this. And we're looking for the sign of the Son of Man. All right? Now, the woman here, you could say, oh, the woman is the nation of Israel because she's going to give birth to the child. But what we have here, remember, what, what happened is that, um, well, let's jump ahead here. Let's look at Revelation chapter 12 real quick, and then we'll go back. It says, Revelation chapter 12, verse 1, Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. Now we'll read the rest of that here in a moment. But let's go back and look at this picture now. Now that you see that, what do we see? We've got Virgo, the virgin, the woman, all right, clothed with the sun. There's the sun, all right? Twelve stars at her head. The moon at her feet. You guys see what I'm saying? Now, we always assume, we, we analogize this type of stuff, but maybe this is something more. Remember, John is in the presence of God as he is seeing this thing. And this is a future event. But remember, we think in a Greek mindset of prophecy is, is, is prophecy then fulfillment, and that's the end of it. That's all she wrote. But the Hebrews don't. They believe in this already but not yet concept, this predictable patterns of things that take place. And if we had more time, I'd go through and show you a bunch of that. So we've got the woman right here who is clothed with the sun and the moon at her feet. At least it, it fits so far. All right? 
Now, we've got several other things. You've got Jupiter up here. You've got Venus and you've got Mercury. So you've got three planets entered into that constellation. Now, we'll get into this in a little bit more here in a bit, but Jupiter is called the king planet. All right, It's the biggest in the solar system. Kind of gets its name from that. But these three here are in an alignment. Now, this is called uh, by scientists syzygy. All right. Anytime three celestial objects come into a perfect alignment like that, they call it syzygy. Don't know why, but that's what they call it. Doesn't happen often, but it does happen. Now, here what we didn't get into is you've got Leo. Leo's made up of nine stars. At the middle here is the star Regulus. It is a giant blue star. It's bigger than our sun. That's how big it is. So it's extremely bright. You can see it pretty much any time. Over the top of that happens to be Jupiter. Now remember, planets don't give light, they reflect it. But you've got Regulus and you've got Jupiter right over the top of it, which would make what they call a double brightness. Now, thinking back to the birth of Christ, what are we thinking? The star of Bethlehem. What did the Magi see? Could it have been this? I'll say possibly. Again, we weren't there. Some will say, oh, it was a supernatural celestial object that God put because it's moving. And that may be the case. But I think it's interesting here because when they saw it, they saw the signs in the heaven, and they, when they went to Herod, they were familiar with the prophecies. We know who the Magi were. They, Daniel was in charge of them during the time of Nebuchadnezzar. And he probably said, here are our Torah scrolls. I want you to read these. You need to be looking for these things. They were Persians. They had a long way to go. There weren't three of them. There was probably a caravan of them. So the song, We Three Kings, it's a nice song, just not accurate. All right. So we've got this double brightness. And then it talks about the star moving. Well, that is called what, we, what they'll call is retrograde motion because they'll, they'll move around. And you're going to see this again here in a moment. But they'll kind of move around. They'll move away, then move back in place, move away, back in place. It's the double brightness idea because you've got the reflection of the sun on the planet and the star, which is giving its own light. So this double brightness. And so it would move and then it would move back. And remember, it eventually ended up right over the top of Bethlehem. We're looking at this from a perspective of Jerusalem. In America, if we were looking at it, we would see the same objects, but our angle is a little bit different. Okay? So, there are a lot of things that are going on. But the bottom line is this, is that this was taking place where, again, I'm telling you, most conservative scholars believe that this would have been the time of the birth of Christ, Rosh Hashanah. Now, with that being said, remember, December 25th, don't hate me for that, but that's not actually when Jesus was born. It doesn't line up very well scripturally. Some will argue it does, and that's okay, because I frankly don't care what day it was. I'm just happy he did it. So, you know, it's kind of like when your kids are born. Most of us don't really care what day it's on, unless it's like April 1st, because that could be a sign of bad things coming. That's April Fool's Day. Get it? I was born in March, just so you know if you were thinking that. All right, let's go back to Revelation chapter 12. It says, now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then, being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. Verse 3, and another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven diadems on his heads. His tails drew a third of the stars of heaven, and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, who was ready to give birth, to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child, who was to rule the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. Remember that number, 1,260 days. Now, what was the, the dragon looking to do? Consume the, or the child, right? 
But caught up, that word caught up is the same word harpazo. It's where we get the idea of rapture. Rapture comes from the Latin Vulgate. But it says a what kind of sign? A great sign. And then in verse 3, it says another sign. And where are they both? In heaven. All right? Where are they looking? In the heavens. All right. So as I was saying, these things, we have to take this away from where it's been screwed up and look at it from a biblical worldview. What did God call these things? And so we're going to look at the biblical meetings of these planets. Now, these planets here, you do not need a telescope to see. You can see them from Earth. These, what they call the interterry uh, planets, you can see them from Earth without a telescope. Can't see them well, but you can certainly see them. Now, planets here um, will move in and out of these constellations all the time. Stars are fixed. They don't move. Unless they're a shooting star or something like that. They don't move, but planets and the moons are not. They move around. Now, I want to show you this, this picture here. This is something that you guys have, at some point in your life, have seen. All right? You got the sun right there, and then you got Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, and there's little old Pluto right there. And uh, if you remember the, the thing, is my, my very earthly mother, uh, oh, I can't remember it. Just, I can't remember it. Right there. That's my man. Give him a cookie. <laughs> so here you've got, you've got them in order, and then little old Pluto that is a planet, it's not a planet. I mean, we don't know. They can't make their minds up on it. You've got some that are arguing it is. I don't know why they make such a big deal of it. Pretty much so they can spend billions of dollars trying to figure out one way or the other. You know what's amazing with this is that they have spent literally billions of dollars trying to find life on other planets and have never had a single scrap of evidence anywhere, but yet we keep funding this idea. You know what that comes from? A not biblical worldview, but from a, a man-made worldview, because in the sense that if life happened on accident here, it surely happened somewhere else. Let's go find those people and see if we have something in common. So, be that as it may, here we go. This is the planet map. You see these things in order. You can see the size of Jupiter. Massive. Okay? But, we're the third rock from the sun. Planets reflect light. They don't give it. Stars, they twinkle, 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 little star. They are light, a light source. Now, most of us are only familiar with these things from some sort of mythology, as far as the names go, because these were worshipped by people in, in ancient times. Guess what? They're still worshipped today. That has not changed. So here we go. Let's look at Jupiter. Big planet, all right? Jupiter is known as the uh, cosmic vacuum cleaner because of its gravitational pull and the sheer size of it that most of the asteroids that would be coming in and heading towards us gets pulled in to Jupiter. So Jupiter takes a pounding. There's been several times where they've, had, uh, they've seen some major asteroid come in and it will hit the bottom of, of Jupiter, things like that, and it will send out debris and things like that. But, but it, it's, it's a major planet. Now, Jupiter in the ancient world was known as the father of gods. It was the supreme god. It was uh, the ruler over everything. But simply put, from the Hebrew mindset, it would be analogous to the father god, our god. Jupiter was the, the, the king god. Many call him Zeus in Greek mythology, but it is Jupiter. And then you get into Saturn. Now Saturn is associated, it's the one with the rings on it, it's associated with death and darkness and destruction. I mean, I'm, I'm getting into the mythology side of things, but again, these were gods in their mind. But when we look at Saturn, it would be, again, analogous to Satan, the enemy, something like that. 
and then we get Venus. Now, what's interesting about Venus, and look at this picture here. It doesn't really stand out. It doesn't really say a whole lot. But one of the names that is associated with this is it's called the morning star. So you can see it early and you can see it late. And most of the time you can see it right next to the moon. I think I've got a picture that I do. Here's your moon. That's Venus. Go out there tonight. If it's not cloudy and you look and you see something really bright next to the moon, that very likely is Venus. And you see it there quite frequently. But what's fascinating is that it has been known as the morning star. The reason? Early in the morning, if you get up, some of you do, some of you don't. So uh, we'll go, we got the don't pile back there. He's sitting there, wave at the people there, Isaac. He's not a morning person. He, uh, uh, he believes that six o'clock comes once a day. So, but, but for those of us who are morning risers is you go outside and you can see the moon on one side going away as the sun is coming up and you can usually pinpoint it if it's not too bright, uh, bright from the sun, you can usually pinpoint Venus. You can also pinpoint it at night. It's known as the morning star. Okay, well, what does that make us think of? Revelation 22 and verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Is it just a coincidence? Maybe. I don't know. But it's just interesting. Now, when we think of Mars, we think of what? Mars was the god of war. All right? God of wars, the red planet. We're trying to land there now, right? Pretty soon you're going to be able to set up shop in Mars. You can go there. You can live there. Life will be good. You know, it's only really hot. There's no water on it. Um, you know what's interesting to me? I, call me crazy, all right? I tend to think things logically. I tend to overthink a lot of things because that's just how my mind works. And uh, they, they recently said that they discovered what appears to have been water on Mars. So they're spending literally billions of dollars trying to do this because if there's water, then there's a chance of life. So if they find one cell of anything, they will call it life on Mars, okay? They don't know how it got there and stuff. But here we have a planet that is two-thirds water, but it can't, you know, we don't consider a baby in the womb life. You know what I'm saying? Like, up there it's life, like anything, just anything. They're grasping at straw. But here we, we don't consider that same thing life. You think worldview has a play and any of that stuff, like, I, I just don't think we think about how much that, that makes a difference. So Mars is the god of war, all right? Who is this? Well, we think of Michael, the archangel here, because he is the warring angel in Jude chapter 1, verse 9, well, Jude 9. Yet Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not to bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. He is known as this warring angel, this fighting angel, Revelation 12 and 7, same chapter that we were reading out of. And war broke out in heaven, and Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. We see fighting, Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1. At that time, what time would you think Daniel's talking about here? At the end. We're talking about the end time. Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since, since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered, every one who is found written in the book. Michael is a warring angel. Now, what we need to understand, again, I want you to show, it's, it's, we're looking at this from a biblical perspective. There are times that we can see where some of these names come into place. And in Acts chapter 14, it's, it's Paul's first missionary journey. I think I've got a map up here. All right. He starts off in Antioch. He makes his way around. And then he gets over here to Lystra and Derby. All right. Now, we taught through the book of Acts, I think it was a year ago on Wednesday night. We went through it verse by verse and spent time going through that and looking at these different things. Now, on this journey, Paul takes a man with him named Barnabas. Barnabas wasn't a talker. 
He was a quiet man, didn't have a whole lot to say. Paul was the talker, right? He was a talker in the group. He was the one that preached. Barnabas was there kind of just helping him out, you know, but he went along and it was important that he went along. And so when they get there, they get to Lystra and they get to Derby, and, and these people are star worshipers. They are pagan people. And so here he is, they're going there, they're sharing the gospel, but look at what it says in verse 8. Now this is out of the King James because I wanted these names to be said specifically. It says, And there sat a certain man at Lystra, which is where we just showed you, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who had never walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him, and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and he walked. And when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of the Lyconia, The gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. And they called Barnabas Jupiter, and Paul Mercurius, because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Jupiter, which was before their city, brought oxen and garlands unto the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people. So what did they call Barnabas? Jupiter. What did they call Paul? Mercurius. And then they were getting ready. Hey, the gods have come down to us. Now, there was a, there, in their beliefs, they believed that this had happened before. There were stories about the gods coming down to their people. So this isn't something that was unknown to them. But look how much it kind of matches the story of Christ as God coming in human flesh and being amongst the people. No different. Right? They all kind of circle back there in one way or another. So they were expecting it. So here's Jupiter and here's Mercurius. And they're ready to make sacrifice. And Paul and Barnabas rinse their clothes and whoa, 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 whoa. Don't you dare begin doing this because it, God does not take favorably to that type of thing. But Barnabas being called Jupiter, Jupiter was the supreme God. He didn't say anything because he was in control of everything. He was the one driving the ship, if you will. Now, the name I said earlier that you're familiar with is Zeus. All right, if you look in the New King James and very likely your own translation of the Bible, it will say Zeus because it's getting more into the Greek side of things to where we will have a better understanding of that. Now, Mercurius was known as Hermes. That's a name you might be familiar with. But Mercurius, who was the, the chief messenger, that's why they look at, at Barnabas, who wasn't saying much, he must be in charge. And then you've got the guy delivering the message. All right, so here you've got Hermes. Now, Mercurius would be the planet Mercury. That's where that name comes from. And this would be associated with Gabriel. Who is Gabriel? Gabriel is the announcing angel. He's the one that stood before Mary and says, Behold, you are with child. He is the one that is announcing these things to come. So there's a lot of different things that we can look at here. The sun was always looked at as a supreme god as well. But how about the moon? The moon is always associated with the nation of Israel. Always associated with the nation of Israel. It's because of their lunar calendar. They have their feast based on the phases of the moon. Um, everything that they do is based around that because God told them to do that. Now, think about back to the time of Joshua when they're going into Jericho. Jericho worshipped the moon gods. They were worshippers of that. Now, here's what I find interesting when we begin to think about that. There's something called the minaret. And this is the, the, the flag of uh, the Muslim world. Okay? So you've got the moon and you've got this star here. What most people don't realize is this star is Venus. It's the planet Venus next to the moon. What did I show you earlier? I showed you that picture, right? All right. Now, to them, Elah, I-L-A-H, is the moon god. That has been worshipped in that area for thousands of years. And so the Arabic, Arabic word for god is Elah, is what I just said, I-L-A-H, Y-A-L is the word for the an Arabic. So when you put those things together, it becomes Allah, 
which literally means they remove the eye, it becomes the God. You guys see how that works? So what are they worshiping there? The moon God. They just don't know it. Not, we, I, let me put it that way. They probably know it. We don't know it. Know it. So you see these things coming full circle. All right. Now let's put these in order. You've got Jupiter as the father, Saturn as Satan, Mercury, which is Gabriel, is the messenger angel, Venus, which is Jesus himself, Mars is Michael, who is the warring angel, and then you've got the moon, Israel. And as I said, when we look inside of Leo, at the heart of Leo is Regulus, that giant blue star. It is called the king star. Now, let's look at Revelation chapter 12 one more time. Now, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of 12 stars. And being with child, she cried out in labor and pain. So let's look at this map one more time. Here we go. So we've got clothed with the, uh, the sun, the moon and her feet. You've got Jupiter up here creating this whole thing. All right, just keep that in mind. Keep that picture in mind. Because in Matthew 24, verse 30, we read this once, we're going to read it again. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. My question is, is what is the sign of the Son of Man? It would make sense to me that it be the sign that I just showed you. Because here we've got September 23rd. And you've got almost the same configuration, except it is a little bit different. You've got Virgo here, who is clothed with the sun. You've got the moon at her feet. You've got Mercury, Mars, and Venus all up here in a line called Syzygy. Here are your 12 stars. This is about to happen. You're going to be able to go outside and see this if you know where to look. But what's interesting here as you get into all of this is that you've... Um, You've got, as I said, the nine stars of, of Leo plus Mars, Mercury, and Venus, all right? 9-23-17, September 23rd, this is happening. This is two days after the Feast of Trumpets, all right? Which is interesting. Remember, what do we say? That we believe the rapture is going to happen at the Feast of Trumpets. This has not happened for 5,932 years. This specific configuration. The last time this happened, August 5th, 3915 B.C. You know who was roaming the earth back then? By most conservative scholars, Adam and Eve. Most conservative scholars, when they'll trace things back using different historical timelines and things like that, have the creation of man and the mankind at 4004 B.C. So we're not that far out. Remember, they lived for hundreds of years. You've got a woman in labor and a celestial sign. Now here, instead of Mercury, Jupiter, and Venus, which was at his birth, you've got Mercury, Mars, and Venus in this line. All right? Jupiter, as I said, is called the king planet because it's the largest planet in the atmosphere. What's interesting is you've got Jupiter down here now. Now, this is what they have called the womb of Virgo. You've got the king planet that enters in. It goes in, it went in, I should say, not goes in, on November 20th of last year. It's going to exit on September 9th. And here's that retrograde motion. You can see it kind of moving around. It's in, it's circling and stuff. Again, this specific pattern has not happened for over 5,000 years. Okay? The last time that sign made sense with Revelation chapter 12 was at the time of what we believe was the birth of Christ. Is that the sign of the Son of Man? I don't know for sure, but it's interesting nonetheless. Okay? As I said, this is going to come in. The Feast of Trumpets is going to start basically the day before. Remember, the new moon, whenever they spot the new moon, that's just that little sliver of light. That's all you can see, and sometimes not even that. It required two witnesses 
It was the time of which no one knew, the day and the hour which no one knew when that feast was start. The two witnesses have to see it. They have to go to the leaders. At that point, they would declare the Feast of Trumpets has begun. So based off that calendar, that should happen about uh, a day or two before that. What's interesting is the Sabbath that happens on the Feast of Trumpet, I'm going to pronounce, attempt to pronounce this, called Shabbat Shavuar, which happens to be called the Sabbath of Return. I don't know. Okay? It's all interesting. All right? Now, here's another thing I want to point out. We've got this coming up, so we should be watching. Now, a couple of years ago, there were four blood moons that happened, right? Blood moon is a lunar eclipse of some sort. It, the, the moon appears red. A lot was made out of these they were, because they fell on feast days. First one was on Passover. The second one was on Sukkot, then Passover, then Sukkot. In a two-year span, that does not happen often, all right? But in a two-year span, there were books written about it. They sold millions of copies. And so most people are like, oh, something's happening. We got to be watching and all that. And then nothing happened. Like, oh, that was just a bunch of nonsense. Well, maybe. Again, it doesn't mean just because it happens the next day is when it's all going to break loose or something like that. But here's what I find interesting. From this point, when that first blood moon happened, to the point of September 23rd, when that sign is going to be in the heavens, is 1,260 days. Remember that? We just talked about that. That whole timeline, that's that three and a half year span. Again, coincidence? I don't know. Because what I'm not doing is saying, hey guys, guess what? Go live it up for the next, you know, couple weeks. Jesus is coming back at the end of the month. We're going to have a great time. The problem with that is our fish fries the next day. We'd miss it. <laughs> that doesn't work. I mean, James went out and caught all that fish. We need to, we're going to eat those. So I already talked to God. And he said, okay, I'll hold off for a day and let you guys have your fish fry. I'm just kidding. But guys, here's the thing. We can make a whole bunch out of this, or we can make nothing out of it, or we could just do what the Bible says. Hey, look up. Watch, for this time of your redemption is drawing near. Here's what we do know, that no matter what happens over the next 12 months, is that Jesus is coming sooner than he was 2,000 years ago. We're getting closer. We're getting there. We need to be watching. And by watching, we need to be getting ready and say, okay, if these signs are anything from God, and again, they could be coincidence. I just, I don't buy into that stuff. But they could be coincidence. If, if, but if they're anything from God, then, man, he's coming close. And I got a bunch of family members and a bunch of friends that I've never said one word about Christ to. And maybe I should get after it. You know what's amazing? And we're talking about Harvey right now and what's going on down there. It takes a crisis to wake up a people to run to God. You're going to watch people come to God that has not happened. Does that mean that God sent the hurricane? Absolutely not. But you know what? When things get bad, where do we turn? Think about people in your life who aren't necessarily believers or maybe believe in God, but they're not born-again believers like you would say or what we would talk about. But when things get bad in their life, they come to you. Why? Because you are, and you always seem to have something for them to give them to help them through that hard time. But it doesn't necessarily turn their heart. You're going to see a time that we haven't probably seen since 9-11 and Hurricane Katrina, because a lot of good things happen as far as people coming to Christ out of both of those events. But we quickly get away. We're just like Israel. We did the same thing. You know, we mocked them and we made it like, hey, you, you had the Savior standing there and you didn't even recognize him. Well, guess what? You probably wouldn't have either. We would have argued with him like, oh, no, this isn't. Because he wasn't the first one that showed up and said, hey, I'm here. I'm the Messiah. There have been several that have come through the years. The bottom line is, guys, we need to be watching. We need to be watching and warning the world that God is coming back soon. And we need to be prepared to do his work. 
So all the things that we talk about, y'all, I mean, with, with the mission work that Jim and Alma are doing, all these other missionaries that we support, with the work that we're doing right here at home, and we're trying to reach people and trying to show the love of Christ to all of these people in this area, is not without fruit. We have to do it. Why? Because Jesus commanded us to do it. And the times are short. I know this stuff gets weird. I know you probably want a tinfoil hat, but I'm telling you, is that whether there's something specific that's going to happen or not, all I know is that Jesus is coming soon. There's another sign coming next year. I'm not even going to get into. But Revelation 15, there's another sign in the heavens that seems to point to something that's going to happen. I think it's April of next year. How do we know that? God made the, the, the whole world in a very uniform way that we can watch these patterns. God's good, amen? We don't have to guess. We need to be prepared at all times. We need to be the wise virgins who are standing there, that we've got the oil and we're watching for him because when he returns, he's looking for people who are ready to go. And I want to be one of those people. And I, before that happens, I want to make as many of those people as I can. Disciples are not born. They are made. Go into all the world and make disciples. We got work to do. It's time to get after it. Amen.